Did you bring a Bible with you tonight? Matthew chapter 6. Go there with me. I've always wanted to say this. If you didn't bring a Bible with you tonight, our ushers have Bibles. If you raise your hand, they'll be glad to let you use one of ours. Is that okay? Okay. Say this, what he's done for others, he's doing. Matthew chapter 6. Praise the Lord. While you're looking for Matthew 6, I want you to also find James chapter 1. It's not okay for the word to not work in your life. It's not okay. I've never been more dissatisfied by anything than when I hear somebody say, in response to somebody asking, why isn't this working? When I hear somebody reply to that and say, well, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. That's not an answer to me. It dissatisfies me. It dissatisfies me as a believer. It dissatisfies me as a child of God. But it really upsets me as a minister of the gospel. Because if sometimes it works for others, and, or sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, or it works for others and sometimes it does, for, uh, or, does or doesn't for different ones, as a minister, what am I doing? If that's the case, then, you know, good luck to all y'all. I'm going home. If that's the case, then what am I doing? And I want, I want to mention something to you right at the beginning of this tonight that I want you just to kind of hear it and receive it and put it in your pocket because it's going to come into play tonight. But in Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. That's how we know it. And he said, behold, a sower went out to sow and some seed fell on. You remember this? And he names four different, different kinds of ground. Now, what's interesting about that is when you study this out, when it says some seed, what it means is some of the same kind. It says some of the same kind of seed fell on four different kinds of ground. Number one, it fell on the wayside. The birds came and devoured it. Fell on, number two, fell on stony ground. And it sprang up, but it didn't have much. It didn't have depth of earth. The sun scorched it, and it produced nothing. Number three, it fell among thorns, and the thorns choked it, and it became unfruitful. Now, if you were to stop right there, you have every reason to think that there might be something wrong with this seed. Right? If you've planted it three times and it has yet to produce, maybe there's something wrong with it. Except Jesus didn't stop there. He said the fourth kind of ground is good ground. And when that seed, some of the same kind of seed fell on good ground, it produced. Now, that's fine and good if you're listening to that going, wow, I thought I came to hear a sermon today and this guy Jesus is giving me agricultural lessons and teaching me how to plant. So that's fine, whatever. And his disciples came to him and said, what's up with this? What's with the parables? People came to hear you preach. And he said, if you don't get this, you don't get any of them. And he went on to explain to them. He said, look, to you it's been given, to them it's not been given. To you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. And he said, seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear, their hearts they don't understand. All this is important tonight. And we could spend a lot of time just on these few verses, but I want to get it said then move on. And then he said this, now hear the parable. I thought they all just heard it. 
They heard it, but they didn't hear it. Right? He said, now hear it. And he went through each one of those kinds of grounds. The first thing he said was the sower sows what? The word. So the seed was the word. Now, if you grew up in the kind of house I grew up in, then you make a big deal, baby, out of the word. And the word is your life and the word is your healing and the word is your salvation and the word is your prosperity. And if the word can't get it, we don't want it. And that was my life. Anybody ever have a life like that? If you didn't have one then, you should have one now. But that was my life as a kid. And I realized early on that there was a difference between me and the kids I went to school with. Because those kids would show up after missing three days of school and you say, where were you? And they say, I was sick. Oh, you doing okay? Yeah, it was fine. You know, I just laid around, watched TV for three days. My mom fed me. It was, you know, whatever. I was like, wait a second. That does not happen in my house. That is not what happens if I come in and say, I'm not feeling good. If I come in in the middle of the night and say, I'm not feeling good, what is it? It's lights on, covers off, get your Bible, get your books, get your Kenneth, get your Kenneth Hagen tapes, get your Charles Capps books. We're going to make some confessions. Jeremy, what are you doing? Lay down sleeping. Get up, boy. Laying there on the couch in the middle of the day watching Gomer Pyle. Turn that off. Gomer Pyle did not heal you. You, put your, you get your nose in this book and you find out who healed you. And that was just our response. That was just the way we live life. And it was on the word. And if you're dragging around, mom might come in and help you march up and down that floor. And you say this after me. You say, Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Say it. Christ has redeemed No, say it louder. Christ has redeemed me. I make it sound real bad. It wasn't bad at all because I live that way today. And there is no sickness in our home. And we have a little boy of our own. And that little boy is healed and whole. And we know how to respond to that stuff because of it. But see, I grew up with this this mindset that the word will fix everything. The word works and it'll fix everything. And I grew up knowing that the word of God is alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder the soul, the spirit, the joints and the marrows, a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You ever heard that before? Have you heard that the, that the scripture says, your word, O God, is forever settled in heaven. Scripture says he sent his word and it healed you over and over and over the word, the word, the word. But wait a second. What did Jesus just say? The sower sows the word. How many times did that seed reproduce? Once. One out of four times. And I don't think Jesus is happy with those statistics. Is there anybody in here, you have four kids? Raise your hand if you have four kids. I see several hands. Would you be okay if three out of the four were dying and going to hell? No, come on, you got one that's living good. It's in church. What's the matter with you? No, of course not. And our father isn't happy with three out of four church-going Christians not seeing any results in their lives. And the answer is not, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Jesus said, if it's not working, here's why. Number one, it fell on the wayside. And he said, this is the wayside. Those who hear the word and don't understand it, Satan comes immediately to steal the word. Now that word understanding means to grasp the meaning, the nature, and the value of something. You got some time tonight? 
An understanding doesn't just mean you comprehend the function of it. Understanding means you get how much it's worth. The meaning, the nature, where it comes from, right? And the value of it. You understand the value of it. And if the word gets sown in your life, and when you hear it, if you don't put it up above every other word, if you don't elevate that word and give it first place, first word, last word, and every word in between, if you don't give it that place of, watch this, honor, Amen. then it cannot honor you in return. Now, what happens to something that is valuable that's just left out? What happens? It was something that is valuable that's left unprotected. It gets stolen. And then isn't that what Jesus said? Satan comes immediately to steal the word. That wayside ground is just hard packed ground. The seed can't even penetrate the earth and it's just sitting out there. If you don't hear the word as valuable, if you don't sit there in that little red chair and say, yes, that's my word. That's my answer. I don't even understand it all, but my spirit gets it. I want it. It's mine. You can do that with the word of God. You can understand it before you even understand it. Even if you don't know all the intricacies of it yet, you know that it came from God. It's got to be worth something. And it becomes precious to you. And when it's precious to you, you protect it. You guard it. And it can't be stolen. But it's honor. Honor's the key, right? He went on to say that it got planted on stony ground. Now, when you read that, the, the first image that comes to mind is a bunch of rocks sitting out on top of the ground. But study it out. You'll find that it doesn't mean that. You notice it said it's... It, it got planted and it sprang up. That means that there was a shallow layer of dirt out on top of that ground. And just underneath that shallow layer is this stony, rock-hard ground. And he, Jesus said that seed could not penetrate. He said, these are the ones that hear the word and receive it with joy. That's the loud people in church. That's the ameners, that's the go get it, that's the, that's the preach that, say that, come on, I receive it. I mean, people shouting out in church. Favorite one of all time. I grew up in church, I've heard them all. Favorite one of all time. Sarah and I were in a church service and there was a woman behind us and every time the preacher would say something good, you know what she would shout? That's delicious. <laughs> that's delicious. That's my favorite one of all time. And we would kind of poke and laugh at each other. That's delicious. Mm, mm. She just sat behind us like she was eating something. Mm, mm, mm. Taste and see, I guess, right? But Jesus said they receive it with joy, but when they go out, they don't have root. There's no root. There's no root. According to the book of Ephesians chapter 3, do you know what you and I are supposed to be rooted in? Rooted and grounded in... Love. love. Rooted and grounded in love. If you're not rooted and grounded in love, Jesus said the ones with no root, persecution will arise and tribulation will arise for the word's sake and it will become unfruitful. So if you're not rooted in how much God loves you, then when somebody comes against you, you take what they've said about you and you put it on the same level as what Jesus did for you and they don't belong on the same level. 
One of the best things my mom ever said to me, Jeremy, don't ever let, any, don't ever let what someone's done to you be bigger than what Jesus did for you. Amen. It just stuck with me forever. Rooted in how much you're loved. And then the last one, all these are important for tonight. Are you, you getting this? Yes. The last one he said, it got sown among thorns. And he said the thorns represented several things. The cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches and the lust, the craving, the desire for other things. Cares of this world. How would we say that today? We would say it like this. What am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about this? Worried, stressed, sweating, caring. What am I going to do about this? How am I going to fix this? How am I going to make this right? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Deceitfulness of riches. What do I have to do to make a buck? How am I going to earn this? How am I going to, how, how can I make a dollar? How can I turn this around? How can I make my money? Can you see that this is man trying to meet his own need? And Jesus called them thorns. You go back to the first place thorns ever showed up in scripture. Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve had sinned. God came to him and he said, because of this, because you've listened to her voice and not mine, because of this, the earth will bring forth thorns and thistles and you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow. In other words, Adam, if you want to eat, it'll be you working for it. It'll, if you want to eat, it'll be you sweating because of these thorns. Don't you know Adam just looked back at him and said, what's sweat? <laughs> Never worked for anything. Never earned anything. It had all been, been a gift to him. And what I believe Jesus is showing us in this is that you endeavoring to earn what only comes as a gift of grace is like a seed being planted among thorns. And you trying to earn what can only be given, God won't share his ground with that. Quick show of hands, who earned your salvation in here? Anybody at all? Can I see a quick show of hands? Yes, sir, I see that hand. No, you didn't. I didn't. None of us did. So why are you trying to earn your healing? Why are you trying to earn your prosperity? Why are you trying to earn peace? You can't. It's a gift. It's a gift. And the word of God planted in, somebody who's, in somebody's life who's still trying to earn something from him, it won't produce anything. Now, all three of those kinds of grounds, you see the fourth one, the good ground, then what you automatically know is all that other stuff is not present here. Right? This is somebody who understands, values the word, rooted in the love of God, and is resting in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good ground. Now, all these things are going to show up tonight. You ready? Matthew chapter 6. Thank you, Lord. Verse 5. When you pray, Jesus is speaking here. When you pray, I guess the obvious point here is it doesn't say if you pray, it says when you pray. And when you pray, you will not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. 
Now, what you need to see and understand is that every word out of the mouth of Jesus is a revelation of the nature and the will of the Father. Right? He is the visible image of the invisible God. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Look no further than the life and the ministry of Jesus because what he said and what he did is God's will for all men for all time. You ever heard that in here before? I know you have. And that's what Jesus is doing. He is revealing. This is what he's always doing. He is revealing the Father. And what he's revealing is the Father's desire to reward your prayer. He's revealing the Father's, not just his desire, but his character, his nature. He is a rewarder, isn't he? To come to God, you must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. That's who he is. But Jesus, he isn't speaking to hypocrites. He's speaking to disciples, people that believe in him, people that are following him. And yet he gives them the warning, don't pray like this. I'll say it to you like this. Don't talk to God like this. Don't enter into this exchange, this conversation with God like this. And if he had to give warning to disciples that day, it might be good for the disciples today to receive the same warning. What do you think? Your father has a desire to reward your prayer. Verse 7, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So you have two kinds of prayer here. Neither one are doing anything. Neither one are producing anything. You've got the hypocrite, hypocrite's prayer that there is no reward for. And then you've got this heathen's prayer who think they will be heard for their many words. The implication here that Jesus is giving is the prayer's not even heard. God didn't even hear it. You gotta be watchful over what you tell people about prayer. God answers prayer. Well, does he? Yeah. Does he answer all prayer? It's not a trick. We just read it. <laughs> Does he answer all prayer? No. God will hear your prayers. Does he hear prayers? Yes, he does. Does he hear all prayer? Not according to Jesus. Why isn't this working? Jesus will tell you. Then he went on to say in verse 8, Therefore do not be like them. So this next statement, listen to this. This is what's going to keep you from being like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask. Folks, that has become my number one provision and prosperity scripture in my life and in our ministry. He knows what I need. And instead of going to him and saying, God, I come to you and I need this and I need this and I need this. And don't you see? Don't you see? Don't you see what I need? I come to him and say, Father, I come to you in Jesus name. Uh, what do I need? Can you tell me what I need, sir? Can you see the difference? He knows what you have need of. James chapter 1. Are you with me so far? Nobody's falling asleep, right? James chapter 1. Look at verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Woohoo! Various trials. This word various, you do some study in it, and it means you find, you find another word that means variegated. In other words, no, no pattern. 
no way of knowing really where this came from, how it got here, what brought this on. That's what this word various means. You know how I would say it? Random. Just one of those days, you went to bed last night and everything was fine, but from the get-go today, stuff is falling apart all around you. Where did this come from? What is happening? Random, 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 random. And he said, count it all joy. Okay. Count it all joy when you fall into these random kind of trials, knowing, so your joy comes from what you know, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom. Now stop right there a moment. If you have fallen into various random who on earth knows where these trials came from kind of trials. In other words, you don't know where it came from. You don't know how it got there. And you certainly don't know how to fix it. What's the one thing you probably lack above all others? Wisdom. You've fallen into something and you need to know how to get out of it. What you need is wisdom. Because wisdom, the wisdom of God, is seeing what God sees. Amen. It's knowing what God knows. Yeah. And he can see where it came from. Not only can he see where it came from, he can see how it got there. And not only that, he can see the way out. Yes. You and I need wisdom. Yes. If any of you lacks wisdom, this is what he said to do. Notice this. Let him ask of God. I love that. James chapter 1 verse 5 has become one of my favorite places in all of scripture because it's just an outline to, on how to get what you need. Yeah. Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. Let him ask of God. I love what the scripture says. Let him ask of God who gives to all. How many is all? It's all. And how does he give? Liberally. What does liberal mean? More than you need. More than you thought you needed. Here he's given it to you and he's given it to you. He says, wow, God, thank you. This is just what I needed. Thanks. That'll, that'll be great. And he says, no, shut up. I got some more for you. You think that's what you know? No, this is what you need because I know what you need before you do. Giving liberally, liberally, liberally. I believe it's the Amplified Bible. It says it like this. Let him ask of the giving God who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly without reproaching, reproaching or fault finding and it will be given to him liberally, lavishly. What's happening right now? You and I are getting a picture of the nature of our Father. Yeah. You are getting a front row view of the will of God for your life. No need to be confused about it any longer. No need to wonder if he wants you to have it. No need to wonder if he has it to give. No need to wonder at all. Isn't it amazing what a few verses of actual scripture can do to a traditional religious way of thinking? Just a few verses. Just a few words. Listen to it out of the Weiss translation. I'll read this to you. It says, And if, as is the case, any one of you 
when undergoing these trials is deficient in wisdom, let him keep on presenting his request in the presence of the giving God who gives to all. The giving God who gives to all. Giving God gives to all. There's one word that I want to come running to the forefront of your thinking for the rest of this evening and for the rest of your life. When you see this word give, giving, gift, given. There's one word that should just start flashing in great big lights and letters in the forefront of your thinking and it is this word, grace. It's grace. Why? Because that's what grace is. It's a gift. As a matter of fact, oftentimes in the New Testament, the same word that's translated grace is translated gift. It's a gift. And to find out if, the, if when you're reading the word and you come across give or gift or given or giving, if you want to find out if, if that has anything to do with grace, this is how I want to teach you to recognize it. Watch for it like this. If it came from God to you through Jesus, then it's grace. If it came from God to you through Jesus, then it's grace. And you can't earn it. Thanks be to God who always gives us the victory, right? What does he do? How does the victory come? He gives it to us. How did he give it to us? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us victory through Jesus. Making victory what? Grace. It's the grace of God in your life. It's the grace of God that gave you victory over whatever it is you were facing. It's grace, it's grace, it's grace. And I'll prove it to you. The wisdom of God is also a manifestation of the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 30. Put that on the screen for us. I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians 1, 30. Put that up there. But of Him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. Jesus was made unto us wisdom. How did our wisdom come to us? From God to us through Jesus. Making it, say it with me, grace. grace. It's grace. Listen to this out of the book of Ephesians. You can handle some word tonight, right? I should have asked, I apologize. Ephesians chapter one. Listen to verse five. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound to us in all. Am I the only one that's excited about this? Come on. And I was shouting and everything. <laughs> what did it say? To the, according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound toward us in wisdom. Wisdom is chasing you down. It's abounding towards you. And it's the grace of God from him to you through Jesus. 
Let him present his request in the presence of the giving God who gives to all with simplicity and without reserve, a pure, simple giving of good without admixture of evil or bitterness, and who does not with the giving of the gift reproach the recipient with any manifestation of displeasure or regret, and it shall be given to him. So there are a few things that you will never hear God say when you ask him for wisdom. You'll never hear him say, you should have already known this. I can't believe you didn't already know this. You'll never hear him say, no, I'm not going to give this to you because you're supposed to already have it. You're never going to hear God say, you know, you ask for too much. What do you think I am? What do you think? Wisdom grows on trees up here? You are never going to hear God say this to you. He gives lavishly. He gives lovingly. He gives liberally. Now, now, James chapter 1 verse 5 that we just read. It would be one of my favorite places in all of Scripture if it wasn't for verse 6 and 7. Have you ever noticed that verse 6 and 7 comes right after verse 5? And it does that like all the way through the Bible. It's amazing. Look at James chapter 1. We've just seen, we've got on this side, we've got God's will, His nature, His character, His desire to give. But verse 6 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. So in verse 5, you've got everything we just shouted about. God in His goodness, God in His will to lavishly supply you with wisdom and victory and healing and deliverance and provision and whatever you need. You've got all of that in verse 5. Then in verse 6 and 7, you've got a guy who's got none of it. What happened? Well, sometimes it works for some and sometimes it doesn't. It works for some and not for others. We don't really know why. God in His sovereignty... That's where I changed the channel. (laughs) I'm serious. I can't feed on that. But what happened? What happened between verse 5 and verse 7? God who has and wants to give, man who needs yet has nothing. What happened? It said, let him ask in faith. With nothing doubting, for he who doubts. So the man who has nothing, he didn't ask in faith. You want to know what the problem is? You want to know what the disconnect is? It's a breakdown in communication. It's a failure to communicate. God speaks faith. That's his language. That's not only the language he speaks, it's the only language he speaks. And it's not only the language he speaks, it's the language he understands. And it's the only language he understands. Didn't we read a moment ago that Jesus said there are people praying prayers that aren't even heard? Are you with me? It's a breakdown in communication. It's a failure to communicate. Have you ever had one of those events in your life where... You lived your entire life and everything was one way up until one day and everything after that day was completely different, turned inside out, upside down, revolutionized in every imaginable way. You ever had an event like that? Almost two years ago, Sarah and I had an event like that in our lives. We had been married 
for I guess a couple of years and everything was one way. We were having fun and living great lives and everything was this one way, day after day and having fun. And then something happened and on that on that moment, everything from that moment forward has been completely different, revolutionized, radically changed in every imaginable way. We had a baby. <laughs> and that little guy, Justice James Pearson, almost two years ago now, he just, he turned our world upside down in the most beautifully, beautiful way imaginable. And for the first little while, you know, he was born and he really didn't say much. <laughs> and uh, just kind of kept talking to him, but he wasn't really saying anything. It was mostly like a lot of just grunts and groans and giggles and squeaks, a lot of squeaks, a lot of squeals, uh, a lot of... It was like that for months. Months, months on end. He literally spoke no English. And that's just the way it was for the longest time until one day, several months ago, this is months ago now, we were sitting in the kitchen and Sarah was feeding him breakfast and he was in his eye chair and I was in there, she was there and out of the clear blue nowhere, Justice looked up and you know what he said? Dada. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> My son said Dada. And I looked at her, and she looked at me, and we looked at him, and we were like, say it again, say it again, say it again, say it again. Dada, 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 And he just went on and on, and it was just dada over and over. And I did not care that anything and everything was dada. I was dada. Mama was dada. The little kid on the yogurt cup was dada. Everything was dada. But did I care? No. My son said dada. I was so happy. I was so excited. And you know what we did? We just kept saying, say it again, say it again. Who's this? Who's this? Who's this? It's dad, 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 dad. And just a few, I don't know, it was a days or weeks later, we were, she and I were taking a walk with Justice around the neighborhood and pushing him in the stroller. And just on, down on the inside, I heard the Lord say this to me. He said, you want to know why that pleases you so much? I said, why? He said, because your child is learning to speak your language. Your son is learning to speak your language. And as soon as he said it, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 just came, just rushing up on the inside of me. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And that's the way he said it to me. Do you want to know why it pleases you? It's because your son is learning to speak your language. Faith is the language that our father speaks. As a matter of fact, everything in your life and in my life is to be lived right there in that ongoing conversation. Everything that he has said to you is grace speaking to you. Grace came to you and said something. Grace came to you and said, you are redeemed. Grace has said that to every man, woman, and child since Jesus rose from the dead. Grace has said that to every single one of us. But grace is waiting on your reply. And faith is your response to what grace has said.
Your response is faith. That's why even though grace has spoken to all men about their redemption, not all men are living in their redemption. Are they? No. Why? Haven't responded. Haven't yet replied. What about healing? Grace has come to you and said, by his stripes, you are healed. Grace said that to you. That's great. That's wonderful. But he's waiting on your reply. Your reply is faith. That's you speaking God's language. What happened here? Why doesn't this man in verse 7 have the wisdom, nor can he expect to receive the wisdom that God has for him? Why? Breakdown in communication. Speaking some other language. Folks, listen, I don't speak Spanish. Yet at home in Fort Worth where Sarah and I live, we got half a dozen Spanish channels, if not more. And I flip through the TV and I come across a Spanish channel. I don't understand what they're saying. And you know what? It does me no good and helps me none to turn it up. <laughs> Am I right? Oh, what's he saying? I don't know. Here's what we'll do. Turn it up. Kellogg's of Frosted Flakes. I don't know what he's saying. Have you ever done that before where you're trying to speak to somebody and they speak a language and you don't speak their language so you speak English in their accent? That's not helping anything either. Oh, sorry. No, no habla inglés. Oh, I am sorry what I was trying to say. You're not speaking the same language. If you want this conversation to go anywhere, to mean anything, to produce anything, at some point, y'all are going to have to speak the same language. And yet, we haven't yet realized God doesn't speak beggar. And we, yet we've begged and we've begged and we pleaded and God, don't you see? And God, don't you know? And God, I feel this way and God, I need this. And why not? Why haven't I ha gotten it? Why haven't I received it? God, please, God, please, God, please. And it's just like those heathens who think they will be heard for their many words. Going, God, 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 God. It's like a little kid. Mom, mom, mom. Mom, mommy, 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 mom, 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 mom. Finally, you, the kid knows that they're going to annoy the parent into responding, but that is not how it works with God. And we've begged and we begged and we begged and we begged and we said, hmm, nothing's working. I know what I'll do. Beg louder. Cry harder. It's like turning up the volume on a channel with a language you don't speak. You know what it sounds like to God? And he's going, what is it, baby? What are you trying to say to me? It's like me trying to understand baby grunts and squeaks and giggles. And it's not going to happen. That's why it pleases me so much when my son learns to speak my language. God's looking at you going, no habla worry. I don't know. I don't speak that. What's he speak? Come on, help me. What does he speak? Faith, Faith in response to his grace. That's a conversation he can understand. Are you with me? 
Can you handle a little more of this? I want you to go with me right now to somewhere in the Bible. How about Romans chapter 10? Go there with me. Romans 10. Everything in your life is a response. Everything. And a life lived based on the Word of God is to be lived in response to what God has said in His Word. But you are responding to something right now. You are either responding to God and His Word or you are responding to the failing world around you. But either way, you are responding. And you are responding to whatever you are beholding. You are responding to whatever you are beholding. Whatever has your attention, that's what you're responding to. Whatever has your focus, that's what you're engaged with. That's what you're speaking to and that's what you're listening to. But everything in your life is a response. It's a response. Look at Romans chapter 10 verse 8. We're just going to do just a little bit of clarifying here. Verse 8 it says, but what does it say? And I'm in the New King James Version if, if that helps you for the screens. What does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. Where is the word found? Two places. In your mouth and in your heart. Then he says, that is the word of faith which we preach. Verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth. Say the word confess. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now we're going to go on in just a moment, but I want to center in on something here. The word confession, you've heard it preached right here from this pulpit. You've heard it and I've heard it, but let's remind ourselves. The word confession, something we're famous for, right? We faith folks, raise your hand, faith people. Yes, sir, I see that hand. We faith people, this is what we're famous for, man, preaching the word on confession. Did you know there's power in the words of your mouth? You knew that, right? You knew that. There's power in what you say. Man, that's one of the first things I heard growing up. There's power in what you say. I bet you to this day, I am still the only kid maybe in the world whose sixth grade science project was to take two plants and confess the word over one and confess bad things over another and watch the way one lived and one died. I bet you, I bet you I'm the only one who's ever done that. Is that not a Kenneth Copeland science project that you've ever heard one? I'm serious, two plants. Said over one, you are a beautiful one. You are a beautiful plant. You will live, you will grow, you will flourish, you will thrive. I was quite young. And over another one, you're ugly and you're dying and you're shriveling up and you won't be anything. And we took two little pictures and me looking at one like this and me looking at another like this. And we had it on a science project board and everything. And this went on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And you know what? I saw no change in either one. 
And I came into my mom and I was like, Mom, it's not working. And she said, yes, it is. I said, no, it's not. And she said, yes, it is. I said, Mom, it's not working. <laughs> yes, it is. And she said, I started to cry. It's not working. It's not working. And she said, Jeremy, yes, it is. And she said, she just saw the light go on. Oh, you're confessing. I get it. I get it. And from that time forward, it proved out. She still has it somewhere. She's up in the attic or something. And you can see the pictures. We took pictures as they progressed. One lived and one died with the same food, the, faint, the same water, the same sunlight. And the, I guess the, the rest of the story is she kept the one plant that lived with good intentions of keeping it in our home. And I think it got stuck behind some books on a shelf or something and forgotten about. She found that plant six months later, still alive. With no food, no water, no sun. Somebody help me, does this stuff work? And we're famous for this, confessing, confessing, confessing. But you know this and I know this. What does the word confession mean? It means to say the same thing as. Confession means to say the same thing as. There's a lot of power in a confession. There's a lot of power, have you noticed this, in a guilty confession. There's enough power in a guilty confession to put you behind bars for a long time. Where'd the power come from? Because the law said this is against the law and you said, yeah, I did that. I broke the law. You have come into agreement with the law that you broke and the penalty that results. That's the power in the guilty confession. There's power in it. Because you're saying the same thing as. And here we've got the ultimate confession. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Other translations say if you confess Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. The greatest miracle of all ever in eternity that is still happening by the thousands, tens, and hundreds of thousands day after day after day. Somebody being saved, born again, completely changed on the inside, recreated, reborn from death to life, and it's still happening every single day when somebody says, Jesus is Lord of my life. Have you ever thought about this in light of these things? Was there any power in the life in the ministry of Jesus? Oh, come on. Are you kidding me? I'm not tricking you folks. Was there any power in his life? Were there any miracles? Were there, was there anybody that couldn't see and then Jesus showed up and he laid hands on them and he said some stuff and now they can. People who couldn't hear and now they can. People who were dead and now they're living. Was there any power? Okay, so we agree on that. What did Jesus say? He said, I don't say anything that I don't hear my father say. You want to know what the power was in Jesus' life and ministry? It was the power of agreement. It was the power of agreement between him and the father. Where do you suppose the power in your life comes from? The power of agreement between you and the Father. 
Why is there enough power in these words, Jesus, be my Lord? Why is there enough power in that to save you eternally, to save you from hell and eternity, and to save you from hell on earth? Where's the power come from in that? It's because you are saying the same thing about Jesus that the Father has said about Jesus. And the Father gave him the name above all names. And you are saying the same thing about Jesus that the Father said about Jesus. The Father gave Jesus the highest seat in all the universe and you are saying the same thing about Jesus that God said about Jesus. That is a confession. To say the same thing that your Father said. Now, have you found that there's no power when you're just agreeing with yourself? <laughs> See, people have heard these messages. This is why Jesus said, take heed how you hear. They heard this and they heard a principle. But folks, if the principle, when you hear it, if the principle doesn't reveal the person of the Lord Jesus, there's no power in it. For there to be power, the principle must reveal the person. Okay? Are we together on that? Yes, sir. And people have heard it and said, great, power in my words. Well, I believe I received that thing and, ooh, and this thing and I want that and I received that and I received that and I, ooh, a million dollars, no, a 10 million. Yeah, 10 million and I receive it and I receive it and I receive it and I receive it and I receive it. But wait, 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 wait. A confession is repeating what you heard the Father say. Let me give you an example. Years ago, Sarah and I, when we were youth pastoring, we left church one night on a Wednesday evening and we went to meet some friends for dinner. And we were almost there and we we're out on the highway doing about 60 miles an hour. And this was late in the evening, really dark, and there was something in the middle of the road, something way down low, didn't even see it till we got right up on it. When I went over it, it came up under the car, hit underneath so hard that the passenger airbag just blew up right in her face, or excuse me, right, right across the top, slapped her right across the face. And our car sputters to a stop and I get to the side of the road wondering what in the world is going on. Well, I just preached that night on the power of salvation and I was telling these young people, I can drive home tonight free from tragedy because I'm saved. And I knew right then and there, I, I went before the Lord and I said, what is going on? And he said, Jeremy, the assignment of Satan on your life is not to deploy your airbags. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy I said, well, he didn't kill us. We're both alive. And we walked away just fine. And he didn't destroy us because I can get this car fixed. He didn't destroy anything. And I thought, but I don't want to be stolen from. Come on. I'd called the insurance company and they said, yeah, we can fix it. You have a $500 deductible. Just pay that. We'll take care of it. And I thought, you know what? I refuse to be stolen from. I don't want to give that guy a dime. When I say that guy, I'm talking about Satan. He gets none of my money, much less $500. So this is what I did. Instead of, instead of getting all fired up and saying, I believe I received seven new cars and I believe I received 3,000, no, $5,000. And I believe I, wait a second, wait a second. Calm down. Hold on, cowboy. Hold on one second. <laughs> Have you ever done that before? You just start screaming at Satan, you give me back sevenfold of what you yeah. stole from me and I won't take any of this and I'll receive my deliverance. And you're just going on and on and on and on thinking you're heard for your many words. Come on. 
I said, Lord, how do you want me to approach this? He said, you ask me for $1,000. 500 to pay this and 500 to sow. That's all he said. And I said, I believe I receive on the authority of your word, $1,000. 500 to pay this, 500 to sow. Two days later, I was sitting in church. There was a tap on my shoulder. A woman handed me a check for $500. I had to take the car the next day. And just with a matter, within a matter of days, the next 500 came in. Now, what happened? Because $1,000 isn't just, you know, a huge amount of money. What happened? I got to hear the voice of the Lord, hear Him tell me what I need, believe that I received what He said I could have, and He gave it to me. I got to find out that my Father knew what I needed before I even asked Him. This is what a confession is. To say the same thing that your father's saying. And what is your father saying? It's grace. Your father's speaking grace over your life. Your father's speaking redemption. Your father's speaking healing. Your father's speaking deliverance. And if you found what he said in his word, say what he said in his word. Say what the leadership of the spirit is saying to you. Say those. There's your confession. There's the power of agreement. Are you with me? Yes, sir. Before Sarah and I launched into our own ministry, we were on staff with my grandparents at Kenneth Copeland Ministries and had been blessed to travel as their representatives. And there were times that we flew commercially and other times we flew privately in one of the ministry airplanes. Nice airplanes. Man, the Lord has blessed that ministry with great equipment, much like He has this ministry in this church. And we had been privileged and blessed to get to fly on that. And just before we launched into our own ministry, I heard the Lord say to us, not, out, not outwardly, but on the inside, I heard Him say, come out of that commercial system. Don't depend on the commercial airliners to help you do what I called you to do. So Sarah and I came into agreement, we're coming out. Well, our first ministry trip, we launched in September of 2010, and our first event was October, first, first or second weekend in October, and we're going to New York City to minister, and we're all excited, and we're making our plans, and we're coming out of that commercial system. Well, the Lord hasn't said anything, or we, we don't have our own airplane at this point, so we, we're coming out of that system, so we're going to have to pay to use somebody else's, and uh, come to find out, it's going to be somewhere between four and $6,000 to use somebody else's plane for one trip. And we said to each other, now, really, did the Lord say this? And we went away separately and prayed about it. And she came back and said, Jeremy, the Lord's saying this. And I said, you're right, he is saying it. And uh, so we came into agreement with each other. And we said, Lord, we believe we receive on the authority of your word. I need to tell you that he said this to us individually, too. He said, I said, Sarah, I'm getting a number in my heart. What are you hearing? And she said, I'm hearing 4,000. I said, I'm hearing 4,000. So we came into agreement with each other. We believe we received $4,000. Two days later, went to the ministry mailbox. And I had let a lot of time go by to let the mail build up. You know, it, we're a month old, folks, so you don't go every day to the mailbox. So I let, let some time, let the mail build up. I went to the box, there was two letters. <laughs> Pulled those letters out, opened the first one, partnership for $50. Praise God, just astounds us. Opened the next one, partnership, $4,000. And it just took our breath away. And I looked at the postmark. It was two days before we prayed. And I was like, Lord, what just happened here? He said, look what you got to see. 
You got to hear me tell you what I knew you had need of before you asked. You got to come into agreement, the power of agreement between you and your wife, but it's not just the power of agreement between you, it was your agreement with me. And you got to watch me meet the need. And this has happened to us over and over and over and over. I could go on and on. Listen to this. Thank you, Lord. I want you to, well, keep reading here. Where are we? Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth, if you say the same thing about Jesus that the Father has said about Jesus, if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everything in your life is a response. Verse 14, How then shall they call on Him whom they, in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not what? heard? Believing is a response to what you heard. You can't just make up something and believe it. Believing is a response. Catch yourself next time you say, well, we'll believe for this and I'm believing for that and I'm believing for this. Well, hold on. What have you heard said about that? If it's something the word has settled, then you've got it. You heard the word. And believing is your response to it. Belief. I know I'm going a long time. Are you hanging with me? Belief is your affirmative response to what you deem is sufficient proof. Belief is your affirmative response to what you deem is sufficient proof. And if the word, if you respond to the word and say, I believe this, then what you've said is this book, this word, this living word is all the proof I need. It's your response. But how can they believe in whom they have not heard? Keith, what if you were just sitting in here all by yourself and this room was completely empty and you were sitting in here saying nothing. And it was just you. And I come busting in this room and I come running up to you and I slap you on the knee and I say, Keith, I believe that. <laughs> he looks at me about as funny as he's looking at me right now. Why? Because he hasn't given me anything to believe. He has not given me anything to respond to. Belief, faith, is the only appropriate response to grace. Faith is the only appropriate response to grace. I'm going to show you this in a few places in Scripture. Go with me to Mark chapter 5. I've taken a long time and we're going to maybe start to try to maybe close. Mark chapter 5. I want you to look at how this plays out. I'm going to show you examples from the life and ministry of Jesus. Verse 21, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Say that phrase, fell at his feet. Say it again, fell at his feet. Now, Mark chapter 5 here in the very next verse, it says he begged him earnestly. I like what the book of Matthew says. I believe it's a more a accurate and appropriate word. It says he fell at his feet and he worshipped him. He worshipped him. 
Now, what's happening? Jesus and the Father started the conversation. The very presence of Jesus on this earth and in that town is the, the initiation to the conversation between grace and faith. The conversation started like this. For God so loved the world that he... He what? He what? What word just came running to the forefront of your mind? Grace. Jesus is the grace of God towards you and I. And it came out of the love that God had for us. God who is love gave us Jesus who is grace. And Jairus is about to respond to that grace. And his response to that grace was to fall at the feet of Jesus and worshiped him. And he said, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Folks, that does not sound like begging, does it? He's responding to the grace. Now, what do we know about Jairus? Not much. He's a ruler of the synagogue. And all we really know is that most of the rest of the other religious people of the day were not exactly members of the Jesus Christ fan club. So this guy probably runs with and associates with people who want to see Jesus out of here. But now he's pressed with this need and his little daughter lies at the point of death and he has a choice. Do I respond to the opinions of other people or do I respond to the one who has my answer? And what did he do? He fell at his feet. He fell at his feet and he worshiped him. And verse 24, may this be the story of your life and mine. As soon as Jesus heard these words, what are the very next words of verse 24? So Jesus went with him. Jairus is now caught up in the conversation between grace and faith. Grace spoke. The presence of God. The visible image of the invisible God got off that boat. And grace himself was standing there. And Jairus responded to that grace. And he came and he fell at the feet of grace. And he said, you come and she will live. And grace went with him. Now we're in a conversation. He's spoken. He's replied. He spoke again. Look at this. Great multitude followed and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard. Oh, come on. Can you see this? When she heard about Jesus. We were just in Romans 10. You want to know what it says a few verses later? Faith comes by hearing and hearing, what does the Amplified Version say? Hearing the message of the lips or the message that was preached from the lips of Christ himself. Faith comes when you hear about Jesus. Man, this gets all over me. There was enough 
power in the word that said, hey, Jesus is in town. It brought faith to this woman. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, can you see that she's doing the same thing Jairus did? Grace is present. She heard about grace. She responded to grace. She came to grace. She said, if I touch the, if I, if only I may touch his clothes, I will be made well. That was her response to grace. Faith was her response to grace. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you and you say, Who touched me? He looked around to see her who had done this thing. And the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him. The same thing Jairus did. They both just found themselves at the feet of grace. <sighs> Fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he, man, I've never been so affected by this in my life. Let's read it like this. Verse 34. And grace said to her, Daughter, your faith your response, your response to me has made you whole. This woman has just been caught up and forever changed by the conversation between grace and faith. Can you see this? Verse 35, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now enter another voice, not grace and not faith. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only respond to me. Fear is the response to what they just said. Belief is the response to me. And what you came to get me to do. And I can do what you came to get me to do. But you can't respond to them. You have to respond to me. These are the only recorded words we have that Jesus ever said to Jairus. All we know is that Jesus heard him speak and went with him. This is the first thing he said to him. And as soon as that bad news came, I believe he grabbed Jairus, pulled him in close and said, Do not respond to them. Respond to me. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult, and those wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Grace said, The child's not dead. And how did the people respond? Did they respond in faith? No. They ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, I love it. <laughs> Folks, there are times that you have to do just that. You don't have to be mean about it, but you do just shut the door on anything that is not the voice of faith. Anything that is not going to strengthen your response to what Grace has said, you say, okay, you, can, you folks can wait out there. When we found out Sarah was pregnant, 
I don't know what it is about that, but it just brings ladies out of the woodwork to tell you how horrible and traumatic their experience was and how difficult delivery was. And I was in labor for 74 hours and, and it just on and on. And Sarah, praise God for this strong woman of God. You know what she did? She shut the door on anything that was not what Grace said she could have. And that's what you have to do. And he took the little girl by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Grace said, get up. Immediately the girl arose and walked. These people are caught up in this conversation between grace and faith. Mark chapter 2. Verse 1, again he entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard. What was it? It was heard. It was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even at the door. He preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now the Bible doesn't give us a lot of backstory on this, but in my mind... This is a paralyzed man who's been waited on hand and foot by his four friends. He's got four roommates that just wait on this guy and give him anything and everything he needs. Why? Because you know he's paralyzed. And bless their heart, it started with great intentions and they wanted just to be a help to him. But uh, how many of you know when somebody begins to get comfortable in their ailment, they start to be a drain on the people around them? And this guy's like, hey guys, uh, um, I noticed you were in the kitchen. Could you bring me a sandwich? And... You know, I would get it, but I'm paralyzed, so sorry. <laughs> and almost now out of guilt, these guys are doing everything for him and doing everything for him and doing everything for him until one day when it was heard that Jesus was here. And the four of those guys got together in the other room and they said, look, I don't know about y'all, I'm done with this. I love him. But I can't, I'm, not, I'm not massaging his back anymore. I, I am off of bath duty forever. I am not. I'm not having it. And if, they, if just Jesus is who they say he is, we're going. So they pick him up and they haul him out the door. Guys, guys, where are we going? Shut up. We're going to find Jesus. And they're walking through the house. Where's Jesus? Well, we heard he was over here. He's at that other house. Okay, so we go. And there was such a crowd outside that house, they couldn't get in. And the paralyzed guy says, oh, sorry. Guess we can't get in. Maybe next time go back to the house. And they said, no, no, we're not. I, you are walking home today, son. And one guy, one guy turns around and looks up behind him. He says, oh, you guys think of what I'm thinking? So two of them haul off and they run up those stairs and the other two guys are dragging the paralyzed guy up the stairs like this. And the Bible says they uncovered the roof where Jesus was. And I believe it's the New Living Translations that says they lowered him down right in front of Jesus. Which was the exact same place that Jairus found himself. And that woman with the issue of blood found herself right at the feet of Jesus. Now, the scripture says they lowered him. I'm going to do some study on that. I think in the Greek it means dropped, but I'm, I'm not totally sure. I'll have to do some study. on. Don't quote me on that. But I want you to see what happened. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith. Amen. 
When Jesus saw the way these guys responded to him, grace said, son, your sins are forgiven. Isn't that what grace says? You're forgiven? And it made people mad. Some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves. He said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your, sons, or your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, or you could read it like this, so that you know that grace has power on earth to forgive sins. Grace turned and said to him, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up his bed and walked. This man has also found himself forever changed by the conversation between grace and faith. This is so fascinating to me. This stirs me up so much. And I saw something today and over the last couple of days I'd never seen. Jairus fell at the feet of Jesus. That woman with the issue of blood fell at the feet of Jesus. This man right found himself in the exact same place at the feet of Jesus. I've been reading lately out of the book of Luke chapter 7 about the night that Grace went to have dinner with the Pharisee. And as he was sitting there, this woman came who was a prostitute and began to weep and to cry. And she had an expensive jar of ointment and she poured it on Jesus' feet and anointed him with it. And she cried so hard that she washed his feet with her tears and dried his feet with her hair. Where was this woman? At the feet of Jesus. At the feet of Jesus. And it was in this instance that Jesus, Grace himself, turned to that Pharisee who was critical of this. And he said, let me ask you something. If there's a master who forgives one servant who owes him 50 denarii and another one who owes him 500, he forgives them both. Who's going to love him more? And the guy said, the one he forgave more. He said, you're exactly right. This woman loves because she knows how much she's been forgiven of. There's no doubt in my mind that that woman had stood in some crowd earlier and heard Jesus preach and came and found him and fell at his feet. You know how Jesus ended the conversation with that woman? He turned to her, and this is what Grace said to her. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. And I saw something today and yesterday that I've never... I guess I'd seen it, but never really seen it. And how all of these people that entered into this conversation between grace and, faith, grace and faith at one point or another found themselves at the same place in a place giving honor. What did I tell you at the beginning of this service? Where the word is not honored, it can't produce. Yeah. These are people that responded. all found themselves at the feet of Jesus. That's honor, folks. Amen. For Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, a man with a high place in this community, to go and just fall at the feet of Jesus, honored him above his honor for his own status, above the honor of his peers, he honored Jesus. This woman honored, the woman with the issue of blood, honored Jesus above the report of her doctor, even above the own law that said, uh, you're unclean. You, you can't be out here. She honored him above that. 
And he honored her in return. But what about people who didn't respond? Listen to this out of Mark chapter 6. You don't have to turn there. Then he went out. Jesus went out from there, came to his own country. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed in his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without what? Honor. Honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there. These people were looking grace eye to eye, but they didn't respond to grace. They responded to the kid that grew up down the street. They saw him, but they didn't see him. Their eyes, they saw, but they weren't perceiving. And where there was no honor. What did the scripture say? He could do. Not he wouldn't do. The same will of God that we've already seen, Jesus carrying in him the will of God to heal, to set free, to deliver, to raise from the dead, that went to every city and town, preaching in the synagogues, teaching the people. That same will and desire of God that was with him over in this other town while those people got healed, it was in this town as well. The will of God was there. So it wasn't the will of God that changed. Listen, it was the ability of God. See, religion has it backwards. We know God can, we just don't know if He will. No, I know God wills. I just need to find out, can He? Can He in my life? And the first question I am asking myself these days is, where's my honor? Where there was no honor, His ability was cut off. Can you imagine that? The... The ability that you and I have to cut short the ability of God to work in our lives. Not his will. His will is still there. The same will that he had to give that man and James all the wisdom he needed. Breakdown in communication. A failure to communicate. Grace had come when there was no response of faith to the grace. Grace couldn't then, couldn't then respond and heal. Absolutely cut it short. Last scripture. Can you handle one more? Come on. Mark chapter 3. Come on. He entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. Musicians, you guys begin to come. He entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Grace said to the man with the withered hand, Step forward. Then Grace said to them, the the Pharisees and the religious people, Grace said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. What is that? No response. No response. Folks, there is no 
greater degree of dishonor than to look at somebody who has just spoken to you and treat them as though their words weren't even worthy to fall on your ears. There's no dishonor like that. Treat somebody as though you don't even hear. No response at all. He'd rather you be hot or cold, but not right there in the middle. And they treated grace as though grace had said nothing at all. No response. And look at Jesus' response to their lack of response. I want you to see this. When he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, it's a hard heart, a dull heart. Isn't that what he said when we looked at the parable of the sower? Seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear, their hearts have grown dull. What does dull mean? Unresponsive. Unresponsive. And he said, if they were to turn, I could heal them. When he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Grace said to the man with the withered hand, Stretch out your hand. Now wait a second. What if he had chosen to go the same road, the same road that these others did and refused to respond? Well, we see what happened. He said, Stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out. This man has just responded to grace. Grace said, step forward. What did he do? He stepped forward. Grace said, stretch out your hand. What did he do? He just did what he heard. He did what he heard. And you got so many people just confused and worried. I don't know if I have enough grace for this, or excuse me, enough faith for this. Well, my faith is here, but it's not really here. And I don't know if I have enough faith for this. Let me ask you something. Do you have the ability to repeat what you heard? Then your faith is there. Am I right? Do you have the ability within you to repeat what you heard and do what you heard the voice say do? Yes, you do. Because with the grace that spoke to you and told you what to say and told you what to do came the grace to enable you to do what he told you to do. And grace said, step forward, he stepped forward. Grace said, stretch out your hand. And in response by faith, he stretched out his hand and his hand was made as whole as the other. He responded to the grace. Stand on your feet with me. Praise the Lord. Would you begin to place her? Folks, this is so, it's so simple and it's so serious. To tolerate sickness in your body and to not address it by what the word says is to treat grace as though he hasn't spoken. To tolerate lack in your life and not address it by what the Bible says is to treat grace as though he didn't say, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But to just live your life and tolerate it without addressing it or responding to the word is to treat grace as though he has not spoken. And it angers and grieves him. 
Why would Jesus be grieved by that? Because in him is the will to do for you. In him is the will and the desire to lavishly supply. Wouldn't it grieve you if you had what it took to help someone you loved, but you couldn't do it? All because you couldn't seem to communicate with one another? I got what you need, but I, I just, we can't seem to connect here. What's going on? And you're not speaking the same language. How do I learn to speak faith? Well, how does justice, my little boy, our little son, how is he learning to speak English? This isn't hard. By listening. I have not made him sit down with an English textbook and say, study this, son. I want 10 sentences by the end of the day. No. All I do, all Sarah and I do, is talk to him. And all we do is say things like, say dada, say mama, say thank you, say thank you, say thank you. We're working with him on thank you. He's getting it. It sounds a lot like dada right now, but he's getting it. <laughs> Thanksgiving is the language of faith. How is he gonna learn my language? by hearing me speak. How are you and I going to learn how to communicate with our Father? Same way. Listening to Him speak. Listening to His Word. Listening to the preaching of the Word. Listening to the, the leadership and the witness of the Holy Spirit. You listen, you listen, you listen, you listen, and then you say what you heard said. Sarah, would you come please, sweetheart? I want to lead you in something and then Sarah's going to minister this to us before we close tonight. I'm going to lead you in a confession, and I've never done it like this before, so I want you to follow with me, but I'm going to be the voice of grace, and you are going to respond in faith to what grace is saying to you. So I'm going to say this, grace says you are loved, and what I want you to say is, thank you, I am loved. Isn't that what it is? Isn't that the conversation? Saying what you heard, that's a confession. So let's try that. Grace says, you are loved. What do you say? Thank you. I am loved. Grace says, you are redeemed. Faith says? Thank you. I am redeemed. Grace says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Faith says? Grace says you are more than a conqueror. What do you say? Thank you. I am Yeah, you're getting it. <laughs> this is the conversation, folks. If grace says you're healed, what do you say? Thank you. I am healed. You know what it sounds like to him? Dada. Dada. You get so many people that are so angry at others, the people moving into the U.S. and coming here from other countries. I just wish they'd learn to speak the language. I just wish they'd learn to speak the language. You're going to take our jobs. Why don't you learn to speak our language? What do you think God's been saying to you for a couple of decades now? You've been in my kingdom. You've been born again. How long? I just wish you'd learn to speak the language. But you listen to me, and this is a word from the Lord for you. In the face 
of any situation, circumstance, or anything that's risen against you in the face of various variegated random trials, I want you to know something. Grace has spoken. And he's waiting your reply. Father, I pray tonight over this congregation in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord, for the word that we've heard. Lord, I know we took a long time to say it, and I'm asking you, Lord, to root these things deep down on the inside and give us favor with your word tonight that we would hear and retain and understand what you have said to us. We thank you, Lord, for the voice of grace in our lives, and we respond in faith, and we can have what you say we can have. We can be what you say we can be. We can do what you say we can do. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Come on, shout to the Lord. Give him glory.